Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to the book of Psalms, Psalm 112. Uh, we're continuing. Uh, this will be the last message in our series, Jesus, Money, and Me. And today I want to talk about... Uh, Diligence, generosity, and debt. Uh, last week, uh, we tried to cover as much as we could about tithing and and understanding that and God's principles and the freedom that comes when we uh, see how God has released us from sin and bondage and it actually changes the way we view every area of our life. But today, I want to deal with diligence, generosity, and Debt. Psalm 112, verse 1 to 10 says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. <clears throat> his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and in his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph over his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted with honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away, and the desire of the wicked will perish. You know, when we talk about what it is to be a righteous man or woman of God or what it is to lead our families and generations in the trust and faith that God has meant for us to have, isn't that a story to be able to say, I don't have to be afraid. I can be generous, I can be giving, I can be open-handed. I don't fear because my trust has been placed in what God has called me to and what he's promised. It doesn't mean that difficult times don't come. It says when they come, his trust is in the Lord. And it even says that the wicked man sees how freely the righteous live, even in their finances, and it makes them angry. That you could be so generous about giving God what's his and opening your hand to bless others and seeing how God is faithful and comes through. And, and I think often in our lives, we, we get really hung up when we come to talking about money in church and, and we don't like talking about money in church because we're like, pastor, we should just like keep separation of church and state. Uh, let's not talk about, you know, money and that stuff inside the church. You know, well, those things were really about keeping the political system out of the church and us serving God. But, you know, it's like, your money and your livelihood is so closely connected to God's purpose for your life, and it should be connected to how you respond to God. I wore my new jacket today. I thought, if I'm going to talk about money, I should look like money. <sighs> but I should have wore brown because green is such a base level of finances, you know? In Canada, only our 20s are green. And i got to start looking like some hundreds and fifties and... You know, stuff like that, but maybe next week I'll get an upgrade. 
But I want to be a man of God, and I want our church to be full of men and women of God who say, I'm not afraid to open my hand, to open my heart, to be generous towards people, to know how to live, because I've decided I'm going to trust God first. Because the world tells you that you spend, you save, and then you give, and then God says, no, no, it's the other way. In God's economy, we give God what's His, we're generous, we save, and then we spend and live within our means on what is left over, trusting that God has ordained that He will take care of us in that. And it flips our mindset on how we're going to walk out in life. And if you didn't think that following Jesus would affect how you buy things, pay for things, live, well, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Because uh, when God asks for your heart and you say, God, use me. I love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for the price you paid and all you've done. What can I do for you? You start praying very dangerous prayers and asking questions because God will ask of you at times. And he will ask, did you really mean it when you said you would follow me? Did you mean it when you said you would follow me, whether it's to the mission field, whether it's to sharing your faith with your coworker, whether it's lending to those who have need, whether it's opening your heart, your home, your hand, because God will, ask us to represent him and represent him well and it will affect the way that we live and one of the things that we need to start learning and walking through in our lives as believers is that we need to understand uh, in truth how we deal with uh, areas of diligence work labor how we we should be as believers how we handle uh, debt and carry things in our finances but also uh, how we live out of a spirit of generosity because generosity is not just giving something generosity actually is a spirit that we live out of and it works in so many different realms of life, but finances is one of them. And so this morning, I just want to cover each of these areas as quickly as I can. And, and so I was thinking and I was praying as I was trying to prepare for today, what do we need to know about diligence? And I was really trying to boil it down to one thing. Like when it comes to diligence in our life and the scriptures and, and our work ethic as a believer, what do we really need to know about diligence? And I came up with this. I believe this. When it comes to diligence, we need to know that hard work should be the honor of every believer. Hard work should be the honor of every believer. Not that your work should be hard, but the way you approach your work and the way you take care of things, the way you handle your business, the purpose that God's given you, it actually should be the honor of every believer. Proverbs 24, verse uh, 30 to 34 says this. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And I saw, and I considered it, and I looked, and I received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and it will want like armed men. I believe that when it comes to our lives, the author of Proverbs looked at someone and he said, man, I saw a person who just did not care about their work, about their effort, about being diligent with the little that they had. And I said their vineyard was overgrown, that the ground that should be used to produce 
much in their life to bring wealth and prosperity. It was not cared for that the wall that protected the garden, that guarded this means was broken down and bandits and robbers or animals could come in and eat of the fruit and the things that were meant to make them prosper. And he says, I just kind of learned that it's so easy with a little bit of rest, a little bit of folding the hands, a little bit of laziness, how quickly uh, a mindset of poverty, how quickly a devouring situation can come upon a person. You see, I believe that God created work and responsibility as a part of purpose, fulfillment, and fruitfulness for our lives. And some of you are like, I hate my job. If you lost it, you would be begging God for it tomorrow. My job is so difficult some days. Yeah, it is. But it causes you to find a level of purpose, fruitfulness, and and a diligence, and it actually sets you up to become uh, a a generous person, and it provides for you in ways that uh, you can't do on your own. And, and, And we need to be those that understand that hard work and responsibility are part of God's purpose for our life. It actually brings fulfillment and fruitfulness or increase in our life. And, and, and we have to be very careful here because there is toil and there's labor and work. But let's remember that became part of a fall. But work in its institution in the beginning of Genesis was a gift from God. Genesis 2.15 says this. We're going to read it on the screen. It says, The Lord God took the man, put them in the Garden of Eden to work it. Everyone say, work it. That sounds like something I would shout at a rap concert, but I'm not this morning. And keep it. He, 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 he put them in the Garden of Eden to work the garden and to keep and tend the garden. God says, there is a purpose in this. There is a diligence required, but there will be a blessing and a fruitfulness that comes from it. And this is in Genesis 2. The fall of man happens in Genesis 3, and then the curse comes with the toil of the ground and the sweat of the brow. But work was always a blessing and part of God's plan and purpose for man. You want to find someone discouraged, depressed, and without purpose, talk to someone who hasn't worked in a year with nothing on the horizon. I've been there 14 months, buried 40 people. That's the only work that I got. I was going to say talk about a dead-end job, but that's a little insensitive. (laughs) It's a good thing Brandy stepped out. There is something when we don't have purpose or something to move us forward or call us out of bed in the morning and take a step towards something that causes us in our humanity to spiral into a place of we don't know who we are anymore. We don't know how to handle certain things in life. And not working for a season of time is not healthy for you. You need to have a sense of purpose. Now, I'm not saying you should never retire. I'm not saying that, hey, if you've made a decision that this is going to be my job in life. I I mean, Brandy and I decided long ago, as soon as our second child was born, that she wouldn't go to work anymore in her occupation as a nurse, that it was more important that she worked at home and raised our kids. And so we adjusted all of our living to live in one income. But that wasn't being lazy or not having work. That was saying, my purpose in this season is this. And there was work to be done. Guys, don't ever say to your wife she doesn't work if she's taking care of your kids all day. Trust me, it won't go well for you. 
But purpose and the work and the diligence and the care that goes into things is so important for us in life. And, and, and diligence, we need to come back to a place that as believers, we believe that hard work is important and our diligence in our work is important and how we handle things is important and how we respond to things is important. Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11 says this. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief, officer, or ruler. So saying, even without having a boss. So when you're your own boss, even if you don't have a boss, work is good for you. There's responsibility. It says, She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Oh, I went to the wrong scripture again. No, I'm there. It's the same one. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed bandit. It's amazing that just in Proverbs, in two places, he, he uses the same phrase. But he says, we should learn from the industriousness of the ant. We should learn that as w- when it comes to our lives, when it comes to how we work, when it comes to how diligent we are, there are some lessons here about how we should be. And I would say as believers, we should be at the forefront for promotions. We should be at the top in our companies for integrity. We should be the people that people want to be around. But unfortunately, at times, it's not the case. Because we've also lived in a measure of faith that, well, if, I'm, if I don't work too hard, God will provide. Well, <laughs> it's like I'm all for faith and I'm all for God providing supernaturally and doing things. But the Bible also says those who don't work should not eat. Laziness and, and a lack of diligence is never commended in the scriptures. And, and the things that we can learn from the ant was to be an initiator, to be a self-starter. Young people, you want to go far. You want to find purpose. You want to know how to carry a job and build your life into career and provide for your family. Don't be one who waits to be told what to do all the time. Find something to do and do it and work hard and be someone that people look at and say, man, they have good character, they have good integrity, and I don't even have to ask them and they see something and they want to make things better. I tell my kids, when we walk through the church building and things like this, pick up that garbage, do this, dad, how come, whatever. I'm like, because I'm going to treat God's house like my house. And there's something that I was just taught and something that I believe in my spirit that uh, believers should make things better wherever they go. And so if I see people not clear their table at the coffee shop, I sit at probably five days a week, I will move that and help the baristas because it's not necessarily their job. If there's garbage on the ground, why can't I pick it up on my way out and throw it in the garbage? Yes, it's not my job, but I believe that I can be places and make them better, and I don't have to be asked to do something, to do something nice or kind or something that is integrous before people. And so when we learn from the ant, we can learn to be integrous, industrious, be an initiator, learn diligence, learn that good things come when you do the right things over and over and over again. Good things don't happen because you tried once. Good things happen because you put the right principles in the right place and you work the same systems and you do the right thing and it pays off in harvest later. Farmers who put seed in the ground don't go out the next morning to look for a harvest. 
but yet they weed and they care for and they watch and they wait for the right timing and the harvest comes because they got up when it wasn't harvest time and they sowed seed when it was time to sow seed. And learning diligence is the same thing, that there are seasons where we are sowing and we are pouring into things and we are giving of ourselves, and there are seasons where we reap of things. Teaching your kids about payday and why they have to work for two to three weeks before that first paycheck comes in. That is a great thing for them to learn. Why? Because you don't get paid before you give of yourself. You pour out, you give with honor and integrity, and then it comes back to you based on what you have sown in. I shouldn't say things like this, but I hope if my kids are lazy at work, they get fired. Just so they learn a lesson. Because I want them to believe and, and, and us to believe that when we represent Jesus, but not even just representing Jesus, when you represent your name, your integrity, your honor, there is something important about that. And people watch that. The ant looks towards the future. This is an important lesson that we learn from the end. She stores up in the summer and there is food in her house for later. It's an amazing thing how we have to learn at a certain point in life that if I take so much in in my finances, if I want to eat or put gas in my car next week, I can't go out and party on payday. There is a, a, a mindset and a shift that takes place when you have to be a provider and you have to be industrious. And I think believers need to start looking at their lives in a way that we're not just living for the now. And the other thing that the ant does is the ant responds when opportunities arise. See, when it comes to diligence, when it comes to hard work, I feel like I'm preaching at young people, but older people, if you're lazy, take this to your heart too. If opportunity arises for you and you keep pushing it aside and then you wonder why <laughs> you're not prospering, it's because you're not stepping into opportunities that come your way. Now, not every opportunity is the right one or the best one for you. But I would say this, that I'll pick on all the guys, you know, single men, young boys, youth group age. I say this when I preach at youth. You have no business dating a girl if you can't get a job, save for a car, or pay your own cell phone bill. Because if you show up to meet her on the city bus, <laughs> I'd tell my daughter, leave that guy on the bus. <laughs> because there is something that we have to, to, to learn and move towards that I'm looking towards future. I'm looking towards beyond the now. I want to be someone who uh, learns the value of hard work. And I want to respond when opportunities arise. And here's the thing. When an opportunity arises for you to go to work, you should take it if you can make it work out. And it doesn't mean it has to control your life. I, you know, my kids are in high school. Be, be a kid. Enjoy school. But if you want certain things, you have to carve out time to work for them. And, and the reality is, though, we have a whole generation of people that they don't want to be diligent. They don't want to do more work. Uh, they, they want to jump ship from one company to the next for $2 more an hour to think they can get in a bigger company so less eyes are on them and they can be lazier. Tell you, if you're a believer, that is not the attitude you should have towards your workplace. 
And when opportunities arise, you should take them. Because opportunity gives a door towards future and prosperity, and you don't know what that could turn into. And, and opportunities, you know, they just kind of become the thing that so often we've lived, especially in North America, that, well, I can pass them all up, there'll be another opportunity tomorrow. We live in the land of opportunity. Well, if you've tried to get a job in the last two months, I was talking to someone that they said their, their spouse or someone applied for like 60 jobs before getting something recently. That's not always the case. And part of diligence in our life is saying, Lord, if there's an opportunity here, I'm going to take it. And I would say this, you know, it's one of those things where in your life, sometimes you hit these in-between seasons. And sometimes God calls you to rest. Sometimes God calls you to deal with some things in your life. But when I was in one of those in-between seasons, and I had another one when I moved back from BC, uh, I can't just say there, well, I'm a man of God. Until the job that I want opens up, I'm not going to work. No. God opened different doors. And a diligent man says, I will take care of my family and I will work whatever job possible and I will provide for them and I won't complain about doing it. And I will desire for God to open the other door, but I will take the opportunity at hand. Why? Because hard work is a blessing and I can bless my family through it. Diligence is important and hard work should be the honor of every believer. Proverbs 12, verse 11 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. One of the other verses, and I love this, and this is for all you that want to play video games all the time, it says, Whoever chases fantasies will starve, in one of the other translations. Life doesn't happen in a fantasy world. Life happens in day-to-day, eating, breathing, sleeping, doing life with real people. Just so you know, that's a side note. I better move on quickly. I'm trying to find my sister a husband here. She's 35. She's like, Jeremy, I just want to meet a man that goes to work and has a job and doesn't play video games all day, you know? She's like, where are those men? And she's hoping they're at Glory Hills, but then they'll try and take them over to Kingdom Church, and I don't want to do that. And then Pastor Harrison, i got to write some sort of agreements and all that kind of stuff. She's going to kill me if she listens to this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12 says this, that as believers, we are to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It's not wrong to receive from people. It's not wrong to see blessing. I have been a recipient of miraculous financial blessings in my life from time to time. But that doesn't come because you're lazy or you lack diligence. It comes as God puts on people's hearts and the generosity begins to flow with people that get it. And as we align our hearts and lives to say, I will be diligent. I will honor God. I will work with my hands. I will live peaceably and quietly among people so outsiders can't accuse me and certainly not insiders in the church that my integrity and diligence stands for itself and how we handle our finances and how we work and the ethic we have is a huge part of this and when I said we're going to talk about money I don't think anyone thought we were going to hammer home diligence and what it takes to actually see God's plan unfold in our life but diligence is part of it And, and, and I think of this I think where the scripture says that we need to be a workman who needs not be ashamed 
I don't want to be a person that should feel ashamed that I didn't give my all or I didn't give what was required of me, even at a job that I hate, because I have to remember that I not only represent myself, and if that's not enough for you to represent your own integrity, grow up. Be a man of integrity. I'm sorry, I'm just saying it. But the reality is, I represent Jesus. I try to tell people that God wants to use me and he loves you and he's got a plan for you. But if they look at my life and that plan looks lazy and slothful and, then, and, and entitled that everyone else should do something for me, that's not, that's not the image of diligence and work that God put in Scripture. We need to be those that aren't ashamed, work with our hands, and that we walk properly among people. Is that good? Some of you are like, sure. I'm hurt, but it's good. <laughs> Diligence is important when it comes to understanding Jesus, money, and me. Now, the second thing is this. I was trying to then think, okay, what do I need to talk about when it comes to debt? Because we can get really deep now. Now some people are like, oh, this is really going to hurt. Hurts me too sometimes. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to debt, what I think we need to know is that debt can be a trap that limits our capacity to live freely in God's purpose for our lives. If you want to know the worst thing that debt can do to you, it will become a trap that limits you in the full purpose and capacity that God has for you. I think for the believer, that should be the sole purpose and reason to avoid debt in our lives because we want to be those that freely live out the purpose of God. And if you're surrounded and downloaded and under piles of debt, you will never feel like you can do that. And I'm not like one of those people that goes so far as some people that you should never owe money for anything ever. Uh, the realities of life, hardship of finances, we do owe money for things at sometimes, but there is good debt and there is bad debt. There are things that you uh, uh, invest in for future and life, i.e. your mortgage. Uh, let's be honest, it is impossible for you to get into a home and, and, and move forward without taking on that right now as a young couple in Canada. But I would say this, are you watching the amount you're taking on? Because wisdom would say there is an amount that carries you within your means and then there is a tipping point where you're aspiring for things that you can't have or shouldn't have yet in life. And it will cripple you from what God wants to do in your life. See, I can't believe that young people, I can't believe I just said that from the stage. I'm only 40. But generationally, it changes. When I was a youth pastor, I was talking to one businessman, and he said, it's amazing what my daughter's friends expect coming out of high school. They expect me to pay for their full education. They expect me to pay for the wedding. They expect me to help them buy their first house. And he goes, like, not just a down payment. They expect that, like, I'm going to give them, like, 50% equity. So they start off in a house that they grew up in that we worked 25 years for because they don't want to live in a small house or a condo or an apartment. I was like, oh my goodness. And one thing I counsel young couples when we do premarital counseling to look at and, and value and see when you're moving forward in marriage, because we all, we all have these moments and these times where we're like, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this place. I don't know if we'll ever be able to afford things. Well, my first encouragement to them is, well, you need to trust God. Because if you're diligent, you're honoring, you're working hard, you're trusting God, he will open the door for you to grow, to expand your family, to prosper. He does those things. However, 
If you have two incomes, no kids, and you buy the biggest house you can, completely maxing the, the loan amount you can get before any life change happens, you're not very smart. Because when you have kids, or if someone gets sick, or you have to make a life adjustment, living to the max is not a great way to start your marriage and your life together. It causes way more problems than it's worth. And so one of the things was when we were young and, and baby number two came along, we realized this wasn't going to be sustainable and feasible for us. What Brandy and I had decided to do was said, Lord, you've blessed me with a job and income. So we tried to live in one income. That our house, our car purchases and stuff were all covered in that. And then I maxed out my insurance in case something happened to me so it all get paid for for Brandy. But we don't know what life change happens. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to desire nice things, but sometimes we get to a point in life where we, we totally overextend ourselves and then we don't know someone gets sick or they have to take a leave of absence or, you know, you, you, you want to start a family. The amount of people I hear, well, we can't start a family because we can't afford it. Well, sometimes we need to start planning before we get to that stage so we can move forward in those things. And I just say this, God will help you through those things. But debt really wants to limit your capacity to live freely in God's purpose. Here's what Romans chapter 13 says. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not as in orgies and drunkenness or sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the key part. Beginning of Scripture, owe no one anything except the debt of love. It says, make no provision for the f flesh to gratify its desires. Debt is a trap because we have desires we're trying to gratify with something other than Jesus. It just becomes a thing that we need more, we want more, we have to look the part. And I want to say this, we may owe for some things, but the real question is, are we trapped by these things? And you have to determine, especially married people, between you and God and with your spouse, how you're going to handle your finances and those things and, and what level of borrowing you're going to go to so your life doesn't feel bound and controlled by it. See, I have the ability where my dad is a mechanic, so I can buy an older car, I can pay cash, and regretfully he taught me how to fix my own cars, and I hate every minute of it, but I save a lot of money that way. But if you don't have those skills and abilities, it might be better for you to buy a car that has a warranty and a service plan, but don't go buy a $75,000 car that you don't need. Buy something that you can afford and you can maintain, and that brings your lifestyle in a place that you're not upside down on everything. We may owe for some things, but do they control you? Does the desire for a look or an appeal or a want control you? Are you going into debt for things that you don't need? Because there are certain things that just hold depreciating value, and it is not worth it. 
Pastor Dick Iverson said this. He said, maturity is the ability to postpone a legitimate desire until it's appropriate time. A bigger house might be a legitimate desire as your family grows, but postponing until the appropriate time when your job and occupation can handle it, when the Lord opens the door, when the right season is there, maturity puts us in a place saying, God, I am not going to let debt control my life. I'm going to let your leading control my life, and I'm going to make wise decisions in those things. Having a plan will be your greatest help with dealing with debt in your life. And I would say this, getting help if things are out of control, forget the shame, forget all the emotions, the feelings. I would encourage you, talk to someone who can help you with these things to restructure, plan, find a budget, because as difficult as it will be, God will bring you to a new freedom and a more fulfilled life and purpose with less when you're trusting him than with the desires that are leading you to feel buried week in and week out. Remember this, though. Everybody experiences financial hardships and challenges in their life. I think sometimes we look at people who have and they've built businesses and they've done well, and we think, well, they don't know because they've never experienced a friend of mine, when I pastored in BC, I was talking to him, and he said to Brandy and I, uh, hey, you guys should come for dinner and just come ride on the boat with us next weekend. And my other pastor friend said, yeah, do it. And so we all went together, and I didn't know what he was talking about, and we get to the marina in White Rock, and the boat's a million-dollar yacht. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is not a boat. This is a house on water. But as I talked to this person and I talked about their life, he said, Jeremy, there was a time where my wife would call me from the grocery store with our two small sons in the cart saying, is there enough money in the bank to buy these groceries? And there were times I had to tell her no because I had to pay my employees before we could buy groceries. And he said it was humbling and the diligence and, and, and trusting God in those times. He goes, because so, people see me now and think life was never challenging or never hard. But he said, when you trust God and you make a plan through all of it, you can trust him when you have more than enough and you can trust him when you feel like it's not enough. And making a plan in our lives to trust the Lord and dealing with our finances will be one of the best things that challenges us through life because we all face financial challenges, but diligence and a plan and a principled life will save us time and time again. See, we have to learn to be principled in the good seasons and the difficult seasons. If you're not principled in the good season, in the difficult season, it'll be tough to be principled as well. You know you should be saving money. How many have been there? I've gone, I've dropped 400 bucks at Superstore, loaded the groceries in the car, get home, and someone says, what are we having for dinner? And the first thing I want to do is pick up my phone and order takeout because I don't want to cook. But the diligent thing says, take something out of the hall that you just bought. Use your time instead of money in this instance. And we all, we're human. We face those battles, but debt it actually limits us and it crushes us from fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. Why? Because I believe God's purpose for us is fruitfulness and it's generosity. And I think we should feel free to bless others and to not live like everything's hanging overhead. And there are times where it's tough. Things seem to 
go out the door and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, things look okay right now and then another bill comes in. But diligence in those things will help you walk through with a joy in your heart and a trust in Jesus. But when we start chasing desires, because this is what I found we, we tend to do, we feel like I haven't had a lot. I've been diligent for so long, so I deserve something. And that's when we go make the purchase or the expenditure that we know we shouldn't and we pay for it later. And so I would encourage you when it comes to debt, have a plan, deal with those things. But um, And if you're struggling, talk to someone. But the reality is, is don't get so broken or shamed that's like, oh my goodness, uh, this bill came in, I don't have to pay it, I might have to use my credit card. Well, then use your credit card and pay it off as quickly as you can, hopefully before the credit card bill's due. Just be wise about how you're dealing with things. Because God wants you to live fulfilled, fruitful, and free to do the things that he's called you to do in life. Last thing. Everyone say last thing. And then you can say amen. When it comes to generosity, I'll have the band come back up. I was asking, what do we need to know about generosity? And here's where I landed. Generosity is the thing that reveals who we really serve. It reveals if we're serving us, if we're serving God, if we're serving money, if we're serving people. The Bible says this in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then it goes on and says, you cannot serve God and money. Now, the actual translation is a word, mammon and it's talking about money but it's not talking about money in itself and money being evil it's talking about the spirit that attaches itself to it a love of money and an attachment to it comes with a spirit of selfishness greed Um, it fulfills what the bible calls the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the pride of life money ties big into that Pride in what we own, pride in how we look, the things that we crave, we desire, the things that we're chasing after that are not of God. The things that we spend on that gratify physical desires, but they have no spiritual um, uh, uh, development or growth or, or purpose in our lives. And generosity really begins to reveal who we serve. And, and I would ask us this question, what is the spirit in how we handle our finances? Because I have to ask myself this question time and time again. Lord, how, what spirit do I handle my finances? Because the minute I'm feeling grasping, stingy, there's never enough poverty mindset, that's not God's plan and way. If I feel greedy, desirous, lusting after things that I can't afford, that's not God's heart for me either. And the spirit in which we handle our finances is one of the most difficult areas for us to surrender to the Lord. And generosity breaks the spirit of mammon and the stinginess and this idea that we have to control that so we can control our life. And then we got to ask ourselves very really and very honestly, what does the spirit on how I handle my finances, what does that say about who I serve? 
this is a scary thing, but if you let me look at your credit card statement or at your uh, bank statement, I can tell you what you chase, what's important to you. I did some very sad funerals in that year when I was working for the funeral home. And one of the biggest signs of how much a person was struggling was when the family would get the bank statement of what they were doing, where they were going, how they were spending. Because it just, when it's not released to the Lord and it's not under His surrender, it, it does difficult things to us. But when we are generous, when we say, God, I've submitted my finances to you and God, I am going to give you what's yours. I'm going to save for future and be industrious and integrous and diligent and work hard for my family. And then I'm going to spend what is left to do what I need to do in this life to keep moving. But I'm going to live with an open hand and with a generous heart. So when God, you ask or people need, my heart isn't so tied to that, that it's just a tool that I use that I can bless others. I can give freely. God, as you gave freely to me, I can freely really give and what I would say about generosity is, is it does the following things I could teach on this for like three more weeks I'm not even touching uh, how we treat those that are vulnerable and in need this is just simple plain generosity one of the things that generosity does is it reveals our heart we talked about that the widow who gave in the offering and Jesus was watching and it says she's given more than anyone else because her heart was all in it it reveals our willingness for God to move. We're saying, God, if you want to move and you want my finances to do it, a release of generosity says, God, I'm willing to be on board with what you're on board with. Generosity is actually a response to spiritual awakening. Did you know that time and time again in the Bible... When God did a new thing, when they built the tabernacle of Moses, when they built the, the temple of Solomon, when they brought the tent of meeting, whenever offerings were asked for, when God was doing something among the people and establishing his presence among them, generosity flowed. In the book of Acts, when the church was birthed and born, it says that they sold things and they brought it together and they wanted to see the purpose of God fulfilled. And people who come alive in Jesus and know how good He is and how much they can trust them change their mindset on how they handle their finances even because a generous spirit, which is the heart and spirit of God, enters them. Generosity blesses and encourages those in need and those who labor in the Lord's work. I said last week, the tithe is for the local storehouse. It's not for the parachurch or the ministry on the field. But generosity opens the door and says, I'm going to give to someone who is sowing seed and laboring in a different nation and doing this and doing that because God has called me to bless them. He's blessed me to bless others that work hard and also those who have need. You see, you don't have to only be looking for people who have need to bless them. Look for those who work hard to share the gospel, to show people Jesus. Look for that youth worker that gives up every Friday night. Look for that person that gives up all their time and they never see something in return. And when God tweaks and stirs your heart and says, I want you to bless them to honor what they're doing for my kingdom, that's how generosity works and flows in the kingdom. And it's a gift. And it's an offering to God. Hard as it might be for us to believe, generosity actually translates into souls. Because we never know when a simple act of kindness and generosity will open someone's heart to understanding 
what Jesus wants to do in their life. Generosity is a gratitude response to God. It brings eternal and lasting investment. It activates the principles of sowing and reaping. It brings blessing and satisfaction to our lives. And for some of us, it's hard to believe that generosity actually brings blessing and satisfaction to our own lives. But when you live out of a place of saying, God, my, my money doesn't control me. And God doesn't control us. But Lord, I'm so grateful that when you ask, I can give. When you open the door, I can bless others. There is a fulfillment that comes in honoring God, in blessing others that we just don't find in other things. Generosity is important because Matthew 6, 21 says this, and let's all stand. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So church, I just want to close with this, and I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to end with a fast song. I just want to say this. Where's your heart? Because when it comes to Jesus, money, and me, it's all about our heart before God, honoring his word, trusting him to be faithful, testing him in what he's called us to in the tithe, being generous beyond that, and saying, God, I will be a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed. I will work hard with my hands. I will be diligent among people. I will war on debt and make sure it doesn't control me so I can fulfill and be a blessing to others. And the biggest question about money in our lives as believers is, where's our heart? Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.